got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm quite honored that you are uh, in your in your professional office today. Not, <laughs> not, not, not in your, my guest room. <laughs> not in your spare bedroom. Wow, it's a, it's a big day. We're obviously moving up. What are you doing? Sometimes spare bedroom, sometimes office. You know, you got to mix it up. Yeah, we have good, we have good angles today. So those of you who are listening to the podcast, make sure you can check us out there on the YouTube's uh, YouTube.com/sportsnerds. But it looks different. People are getting a different yeah, view of us. Different, yeah. I like it. I dig it. Um, we're also on Instagram at sports nerds, sports dot nerds, sorry, at sports dot nerds. And then we are on um, Twitter at underscore sports nerds. Brian, uh, how's your morning going? Uh, good. A little, a little hectic considering it's only nine 30, but you know, we're, we're alive. We made it Had some coffee. You uh, good. Kids are in school. I don't know. Kids are, kids are up. Uh, I've been up. I got up at four this morning because Ooh. I know I, well, I've got a meeting. What do I have to do today? I got to put, Oh, I know what I've got a meeting this afternoon with a guy who writes for for Forbes. He does sports research for Forbes, and he lives here in Denver. And I'm gonna have a meeting with him this afternoon. Maybe get him on the show. He does some cool stuff, like sports yeah. economic stuff. That sounds so, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Uh, somebody else reached out to us. Oh, there's a PhD student from uh, Canada, a guy that follows us on Instagram who would like to jump on the show and talk about sports psychology. He's getting into psychology in sports and he wants to talk about the psychology of fans, which I know that you had discussed maybe writing some sort of academic paper about that. So maybe that'll be uh, the jumpstart we need. Yeah, no, that's still definitely something I'm, I'm, I'm curious about. And then lastly, before we jump into our content for the day, uh, folks who are watching on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram Monday morning, Actually, not Monday morning, Monday at 1230 Mountain Time, 230 Eastern Time. Brian and I will be talking with Dr. Daniel Lair and Dr. Brendan Kendall about sports ethics. And I think in particular, we're going to really try to discuss um, how sports fans, consumers of sports, sports commentators reframe the issues with sports in ways that allow them to still consume sports without feeling bad about it. Is that a pretty uh, fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. So are we, are we, you know, rationalizing to, to explain our fan fanmanship or our fanship? Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting question. Should be good. Uh, Brandon yeah. Kendall is a, is a, is a communication ethics uh, expert. And then uh, Dr. Dan Lair, he is a, a rhetorician like, like Brian and I, but also a kind of org comm scholar, organizational communication scholar. It should be good. We're going to, I'm going to get both of them here in the radio, in the, uh, in the sound booth. And then Brian, you'll be chiming in from afar. From my um, guest room. Yeah. From your guest room. So I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, no, it'll be fun. Yeah. I think uh, we've been trying to get Dan on the show for years. So it's, it's, it's surprising. It's taken this long. It'll be nice now that he's here, right? Now that he's here in Denver, we can make it happen. But um, today, for those who are going to stick in for the whole time, and I think you will, I hope you will, we're going to begin with a little talk about the 
MLB playoffs, as Brian had kind of pointed out, there's not a lot to discuss, but there is a, there are a couple races for us to unpack and just and kind of talk about moving forward. And then we're going to jump into this really cool article that, uh, or not article, but a research um, program put together by a professor. I can't remember where he is, which which uh, school he is he's at. I'll have to figure it out while we're talking about it. Uh, he basically does a in depth statistical analysis of home field advantage. Deadspin ran the article and Brian and I picked it up this week and, and we want to talk about it. I think your sister pointed it out to you. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So thanks, Meg. Appreciate that. And then uh, we'll end. Even if you don't want to read that whole article, just the graphic is sweet. Yeah. I'm, and the graphic should be up uh, on Instagram. We, we, we posted it on there for those of you who are listening to the podcast. Those of you who are watching live that, uh, that, that post will come later today. Uh, but the link is on there as well with a little information about how you can access it. And then we'll end obviously with the, uh, Serena Williams and what happened last weekend at the U.S. Open, as well as the fallout, in particular, uh, the Australian newspaper cartoon. So let's jump into it. Uh, Brian Schrader, uh, MLB playoffs, I think, who I, the only tight races, as you had pointed out, really the NL West, which remains pretty close, correct? I got to pull up our, our numbers here, our data or the, uh, the standings. So the NL West, it looks like how many games back are the Dodgers now? Uh, one, I believe So the Dodgers are one back of the Rockies and then Arizona's four back of them, I think. Okay. I gotta oh, wait. no, Dodgers are a game and a half back. Arizona's yeah. four and a half back. Okay. So we can, I mean, it's going to be tough for Arizona at this point to catch, uh, either the Rockies or the Dodgers, but it certainly looks like, uh, there's a lot of baseball to play. And so that, that division is certainly still up for grabs. So the other thing is the NL wildcard, which, uh, if we look at these numbers, Milwaukee, uh, and St. Milwaukee is three games up on St. Louis for the top spot. St. Louis obviously has that second spot. They have a one game lead on the Dodgers and then a four game lead on the Diamondbacks. The Phillies are basically out of it. Uh, the Phillies had a good run, though. You know, props to them. Well, I mean, they lost five straight, right? They were in it and then, you know, yeah. lost lost five straight to Washington. Young team, young team. Something we I don't know. About. I mean, what do we got? 14, 15 games left. Phil- Philadelphia and Washington both have wild card elimination numbers, you know, at nine and 11 respect, uh, respectively. Pittsburgh is a nine number. Those are not numbers that you expect to get in, right? Those E numbers are the magic number. Sometimes they call it is anytime you lose or someone ahead of you wins, your E number goes down, your magic number goes down. Um, So basically those teams would have to, you know, win 80% of their games and have people in front of them lose, you know, about the same number. Maybe that, maybe that math is wrong. That's a little back of the napkin math for you, but there's, there's a possibility for that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember that that Red Sox team? Uh, I don't remember how many years ago with Bobby Valentine. No, no, it was the last one with Terry Francona before Bobby Valentine, when the Red Sox were, you know, had a had a end of September where they won like two baseball games or something. Yep. And tumbled well. from you know a division race to you know being atop a wild card to falling out of that wild card race on the last game of the season. So I mean, I'm not I'm not projecting that. I'm not predicting that. I'm not you know, and that's not my projection. But I'm saying that you know, there's there's some depending on how those matchups go. There's, there's room for that sort of thing to happen. I mean, Pittsburgh's going to go play Miami. They're the worst team in the National League. Philadelphia's, uh, or I'm sorry, Philadelphia's going to go play Miami. That's the worst team in the National League. I guess Pittsburgh has to go play Milwaukee. So that's a harder series. I, I think um, the one thing that I guess I take from this is, or that I worry about, as a, I think I mentioned this to you, as a Cubs fan, a hot Dodgers team 
going into the playoffs looks really, really scary to me. And last night, man, they put up some runs. I understand that Kershaw got beat up a little bit and Kenley Jensen doesn't look great, but they, they've got a tough team, obviously, uh, top to bottom. I mean, I think they built it halfway through the season in order to make that playoff run. I don't know. Yeah, they have they, the best run differential in the National League. Yeah, yeah. 699 runs scored, 564 runs against. Gives them a projected win loss of 88 and 59, which is by far the best team in the National League. Yep. By, you know. Oh, wait, is that true? I yeah. know, well, the Cubs That's are true. the best team in the National League at the moment. So no, mean? no, but the but the, the Dodgers' projected win loss based on run differential would put them at 88 wins. Yes. I'm sorry, the Dodgers are good. You're right. You're right to fear the Dodgers. That's a team that if it makes it makes to the playoffs, should be fine. The hardest thing they'll have to do in the playoffs is win a one-game wild card, right? Yeah, that's going to be it. Um, I think they have a lot of incentive just to try to win that division because they could need, you know, getting Kershaw some extra rest, getting Kenley Jensen some some days off. Man, that dude just looked – he got beat up last night. Uh, yeah. He's, apparently, he's going to have heart surgery in the offseason. He's got a bad wow. heart. Bad, bad heart. He's a big fella. Uh, that really to, is the thing, though, I think, too. Like, getting to the postseason hot matters a lot, but also, do you have to fight to make it there? I guess there's I guess there's the opposite argument, like the, the 2007 Rockies who, you know, every single game mattered from, like, August 15th on. So, you know, there was no such thing as playoff pressure. It was, like, win or go home for them for a month and a half. So maybe the same thing could be true for the Dodgers. I know the AL is pretty much wrapped up. Yeah, let's talk about any, that for a second. Any thoughts there? I'm really, I'm really interested in this uh, A's Houston thing going on in the West. Yeah, because I think if Oakland can, you know, I mean, three and a half games back, that's totally gettable. They'll probably play again. I don't know off the top of my head if they if they will, but I mean, you play so many games against your own um, division. You know, usually play 19 games against your division. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a series against them left here in the home stretch. If 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 Oakland can manage to to uh, unseat Houston and win that division spot, that would mean that Houston at 92 wins today would have to play the Yankees at 90 wins, both way more than any team in the National League, right? In a one-game wild card. Yeah, I know that. You, you'd have two of the top three or four teams in baseball playing in a wild card, and then the winner of that series would play the Red Sox. All right, does, okay, do the A's, as a Red Sox fan, scare you at all? Dude, as a Red Sox fan, every team scares me. I'm just asking for choking is, you know, legendary. I'm just wondering. I mean, these those are some really, really strong teams. That's crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 I'll be honest. I, I think the AL is so so good this year yeah. that you know, despite some despite some flukiness, I think the an AL team's going to win the World Series. I'll probably eat my words on that. Let me ask you this question. There's been discussion about this in in major, or excuse me, in the NBA for a long time about reseeding top to bottom yep, and even doing it across Eastern and Western conference. Right. Because, and I think the reasoning for this is that the Western conference, many people think I am one of them that the Western conference is stacked. It's a lot harder to make it out of the Western conference. And in the Eastern conference, oftentimes you have the top one or two seeds playing a team. That's not even a 500 basketball team, right? Beating Milwaukee in the first round. For sure. It's been like a, a you know, it's the, I've, I've made this argument before. It's I think Cleveland and, and LeBron making it to the NBA finals as many times as he has is really impressive, but it's less impressive out of the Eastern Conference than it would be out of the Western Conference. Is there an argument for doing some sort of reseeding in baseball? Well, how would you do it then? So, like, would well, you? Well, I mean, the, the way to do it, the way the, the way Stern wants to do it in basketball, uh, and that's not Stern anymore, is it? Adam Silver. Yeah, Adam Silver. Whoever the commissioner is, that yep. other dude. Yep. Um, 
wants to do it is to just reseed by record. So it doesn't. Really, so just, yeah, the top record gets the one seed. The second record gets the two seed. You get rid of you get rid of conferences. I mean, you get rid of for the purposes of the playoffs, you'd get rid of AONL. I mean, or I, or you you don't make the wild card the the wild card team like the the Yankees who have the what third back best record in baseball would not play in the wild card game. Instead, it would be Cleveland right now with 82 wins playing Oakland with 89 wins, even though Cleveland won, w- will win the central. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Because like, why do we want to reward Cleveland? That's a good baseball team and I'm not talking shit, but the central's terrible. Mm-hmm. The second place team in the central is the twins who are 12 games below 500. Right. Like why, why does Cleveland get to walk to a division series when two teams with better record, like a lot, but way better records, eight, 10 wins better, have to play in a one game wild card. I guess I would just be interested to see. There's so many logistics that go into it um, that I would want to see how that would play out. I, w- I would love that. That would be great. But again, how, how would it work? You know, how would they actually make that happen? I don't know. I think it would be, I mean, well, I mean, we just, they just seed in one way now. You would just seed in a different way. I'll tell you what. Uh, let me let me ask you this: the premise of a tournament, right, should be that the best two teams meet in the finals. Yeah, yeah, obviously. The system in baseball now precludes that because I think by any measure, like just for, just get, bear with me for one second. I'm going to go to five thirty eight. No, you're fine. I'm just wondering again. Like I totally agree, it should be the best teams that meet in those finals. I just don't know how logistically it would happen because what if you had a? Well, but this is what we do in in March Madness, right? Like that's why we have one seeds is to protect them. We want those one seeds to be in the Final Four because theoretically they're the best teams. Five thirty eight, based on their Elo rankings or whatever, has the Astros as the ba- best team in baseball despite not having the best record. The Red Sox as the second best team. The Yankees as the third best team. And and by the way, I threw the Athletics into this mix. They're ranked as the fourth best team. Right. So no matter how you slice it at this point, the, the AL wild card game is going to involve the Yankees. They can't catch the Red Sox. Like, well, mathematically they could, but they're probably not going to. Right. And the Yankees are either going to play the Athletics, the fourth best team in baseball, or the Astros, the first best team in baseball. That is a legit World Series matchup. Why in the world are we having a one game wild card series where three of the four best teams in baseball could conceivably be involved? It would just be difficult with, um, I guess the setup of the actual league, which I'm particularly thinking about the DH, there is such difference. You would have to almost have, you would have to integrate the DH across the entire league or eliminate it across the entire league. There'd have to be a similarity there. Yeah, I agree. We should all have a DH. The DH is awesome. (laughs) I know you're a big fan. You don't, you don't don't have to do that because you can still just play home, home rules, right? You could say if you have a DH, if it's an NL park, no DH, if it's an AL park, have a DH. I'm just saying, at the end, at the if 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 the, the concern with Major League Baseball is viewership and stuff like that, maybe it's not a pitch count, maybe it's not the pace of play, maybe it's not having the best product on the field in the end of October, beginning of November, right? Mm-hmm. the The World Series that I want to see right now is some combination of Astros, Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, right? Maybe, maybe you know, maybe the Cubs. I don't know. Throw, throw, throw you, throw you a bone there. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I have not. You know, I don't have a ton of confidence for the Cubbies coming into the playoffs at all, man. There was a, there was a move. I guess we're gonna, we're gonna obviously timestamp our, our show here. Last night I was, I was watching the game, while doing some work, and 
Uh, the Cubs were up one in the top of the 10th and bases loaded and Joe Madden for some reason uh, kept Pedro Strop in there to hit. Did you watch this? Did you see mm -hmm. this? Uh, yeah. and, and Strop, uh, you know, hits just a ground ball and sprints to first and it appears that he actually pulled his hamstring and they took him out of the game. So not only do you have a lead, not only do you have a guy that you probably should pinch hit for, but you let him hit and then he gets hurt. Right? A guy in a, who's been in really a game really that solid. probably doesn't matter all that much. Well, but it, it kind of did. It did in the sense. No, the problem is that it did matter, and he treated it as if he didn't by keeping that pitcher in there. I guess. Oh, okay, thought, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, the, the Cubs are up one, bases loaded with one out. They had a chance to to put another one or two runs up there, and it didn't happen. I don't know. There's a lot of people who. Oh no, that you, I misunderstood. You no, know, you're right. That makes sense. A lot of people mad at Joe Madden. A lot of people just unhappy with Joe Madden this year. So for good reason, I think. In my honest I opinion. This is this is this is never going to happen. This is just a stupid thought experiment. But I just think Astros Red Sox World Series more interesting than you know Brewers Athletics because of the peculiar peculiarities of the way the wild card stuff works. Agree. Right. Yeah. There's 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 a version of this where I know I think I'm beating a dead horse here or whatever. But there's a version of this where the wild card game in the AL features two top five teams, two top four teams or whatever, and then the division series features maybe even better than that right two top three teams or something mm -hmm. and then by virtue of two of those top five teams top four teams being eliminated at that point the alcs can't be as good it has to have a worse team right because two of those top teams have been eliminated and then another one of those teams has to get eliminated that means the world series again has to be worse if my if, if my logic is making sense here i think it does make sense uh again i think we're working against tradition here and we're working against a, a playoff structure that has not necessarily been advanced much over the last hundred years i mean i guess the inter integration of a new wild card is is great but like you and i have talked on the show before the fact that it's a one game playoff yeah i hate it's such a problem uh let's move get on rid of, get rid of it or do three games exactly all right we're gonna move on because i know we're gonna end up going for a long long talk uh about the serena thing next thing would be that article from Deadspin about home field advantage. Um, I'm going to get to the details really fast here. Uh, Michael Lopez, director of data and analytics for the NFL. Uh, he's from Skidmore, stats professor at Skidmore. Uh, stats by Lopez, actually a really, really strong follow on Twitter. Uh, he seems to be a super engaging guy. He actually said something to us on our Twitter feed, so that was nice. Um, who did a let me see i'm just going to break down the specifics of this so i don't misspeak the paper is titled how often does the best team win a unified approach to understanding randomness in north american sport with co-author okay i'll skip that uh it, it's going to be published in the annals of applied science what was his okay the what uh the annals uh <laughs> not annals not annals. okay uh okay what did he do here he pulls out some interesting stuff from his post good joke for 10 in the morning that was good that was strong nice work i wanted to get to like how he the calculations are pretty um like extensive right they're they're, they're complex calculations um basically it's it's uh how inter if you were okay probability probability of beating an equal caliber opponent at home there we go that's what i was looking for right so this is what the statistic is what is the probability of your team beating an equal caliber component at at home right if they were even and in every single sport, Denver is at the top, which is uh, it seems it, like altitude matters. Al right? Altitude appear, appears to really matter. Well, obviously, we think so. Uh, he doesn't come to that conclusion. 
he's just looking at the at the data but it's just an interesting kind of graphic i thought it was it's a really cool graph to look at uh, yeah the other thing and the reason why brian pointed out the altitude matters uh the utah jazz are right up there and then the calgary flames are up there as well the other two highest cities in professional sports it's a really cool little graph so i would suggest everybody take a look at it brian can you post it to facebook are you able to right now to our the facebook article. yeah to the article on our facebook yeah. on our facebook feed that would be awesome. So what did you, I mean, did you have anything uh, that you wanted to take from this other than uh, it's kind of it cool? I mean, yeah, it, it confirms a lot of things that we already suspected, but it also, I mean, the thing that this does that's really interesting is it compares all, all four major sports, right? So you yeah. can see how much does the, the home field advantage matter by sport, right? So this, his math says it matters way more in basketball than it does in, you know, at the very bottom is baseball. And that kind of makes sense if we think that altitude has a lot to do with it. Because, you know, if you're a team that's coming from sea level and you're coming to Denver, um, you know, this was the George Carl MO for the Nuggets for a long time was running people out of the gym, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it would just show up and be like, we train here, you don't. We're used to the altitude, you're not. And, and, you, and so it's a more, not more athletic sport, but it's a more aerobic sport. There's a lot of back and forth to it. The one that I can't really explain is number two on this list as most affected is is football, right? Where, I mean, there's a lot of running in that, but it's also very much stop and start and hockey's number three. And maybe he has an explanation that I don't understand. I know in hockey, they switch so much more. They switch every, whatever, 45 seconds for line changes. So maybe, you know, you go full blast and then you get off. The altitude doesn't matter um, quite as much. But what's really, there's two other things here that are really telling. One, baseball's at the very bottom, right? We're constantly hearing things like, oh, the Rockies have such a massive advantage. And based on this graph, the home field advantage the Rockies have over other baseball teams is pretty slim. And it looks like altitude matters far less in baseball than it does in other sports. The other reason for this too, is that baseball is, there's so much more, I don't know if parody is the right word, but the way the game is played games tend to be a lot closer and really anybody can beat anybody, right? If you're a, you know, a dominant basketball team or football team, you can, you can go undefeated. You can, you can have a, you know, 75% win loss, that, that sort of thing in baseball you know, a really great team hovers around 68% win-loss. That's a great team, right? And if you're, you know, a 55% win-loss team, I mean, you could be in the playoffs, right? And we were seeing, we're seeing that this year. So uh, in, in baseball, it just doesn't matter much, it matter quite as much. But I do find this really interesting. The only aberration in this graph, uh, the, the, the biggest home field advantage is first, every single football team kind of rank in order, then every single, or excuse me, every single, basketball team then every single football team then every single hockey team with the exception of the rockies all the baseball teams are at the very bottom but the rockies actually have a bigger home field advantage than uh the the ottawa senators the winnipeg jets or the, the Island. new york islanders have yeah. in, a, in a hockey one you have to see the graph it's color-coded but it really stands out like a sore thumb yeah it is but it really it's, does it's, it's it's kind of awesome so despite the fact that this graph sort of shows that the home home field advantage matters less in baseball than it does in any other sport, right? Because of altitude or because of, you know, the 12th man or because of whatever things we think matter for home field advantage. Um, uh, the, the Rockies advantage at home is so overwhelming in baseball. I mean, it really is. It's like, it, it does stick out. It really does stand out. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's nuts. That's also the one outlier that kind of 
works against, I would argue, the you have to be in shape to play here argument because they have such a significant, like baseball is the one sport where I don't think you have to be in the most fantastic shape, but yet the Rockies have such a disadvantage because of where they play. Uh, I wish we could get a sports physiologist on here or something uh, because that, that would be uh, quite interesting to, to discuss. Because I think you could make the argument that basketball uh, is is such a significant. You have to be in shape, I suppose, because you're running so often. I wish they had yeah. soccer on here because that would be an even more telling um, uh, reading. You know. If, well, yeah, and and then I mean, if you had soccer on here too, especially not just like MLS, but world soccer, then the the Mexico Stadium, the Azteca, or whatever yeah. it's called in uh, in Mexico City, which is higher than Mile High, right? Yeah. It's at like seven thousand feet or eight thousand feet or something like that. You know, I know every time the USA team goes there, they're like, it, it's it's like when a, a again when a sea level team comes to Denver, it's the same thing. They're like, it's a really hard place to go and play because the altitude is just so so extreme. So if if, if we went beside outside of the mainstream sports, I think you might see some some other interesting interesting things. And and to, to your point as well, basketball you have to be really athletic. Hockey you have to be really athletic. Soccer though, it's there's it doesn't it's not really stop and start. You're running all the time. They track those guys. If you watch enough soccer, when they sub them out, they'll say, "Oh, this guy ran a 10k." Yeah, you know, you know, ran however many, you know, shitload of miles. Is there a way for like interesting? All right, I've got all my computers uh, kind of loaded up right now, so I can't do much. Is there a way for you to tweet to the Sports by Lopez guy and ask him if they're working on something in terms of soccer? Because I would be really, really interested in seeing that data, and I want to know if they're actually doing it. Uh, his name is. Let's see. I just followed him, actually. Michael Lopez, uh, stats by Lopez, because if that's like, if you see that massive, that big of a discrepancy or that big of an advantage based on soccer, I think that probably adds a lot of credence to the idea that you have to be in shape, and that's and and that's why Denver tends to benefit. And I don't know, can you even does being in shape get you anywhere in terms of dealing with the altitude? I mean, you ran here, right? You you ran against teams that. That yeah, it's it's not about being in shape or not in shape. I think it's it's being acclimated to it. Okay, okay, interesting. Right. I mean, that's why I mean, there's definitely yeah. I mean, I ran in Colorado in, in high school and a little bit in college, and it, it was it's definitely I, I am I I mean I don't know what it's like to go from sea level to Denver and try and run, but I assume it feels like you can't catch your breath. But I know going from Denver, and I've you know I've, I did races in California and, and other sea level places, Wisconsin, um, and it's. It's really a, an interesting sensation because you just feel like you can run forever. I mean, if sorry, I, I don't mean you just you're just not losing your breath. So I mean, it it definitely, it's not like you you are in you know better shape or worse shape. It's kind of just what you're used to. It's just being acclimated. And and I mean, think about the world's best distance runners, or at least you know the Western Hemisphere's best distance runners tend to come here yeah. to to train. Right? They train in Boulder. There's, I mean, if you there's shitload Jenny Simpsons there. I'm trying to think who else that folks would know. You train in Boulder because, like you said, you get down to sea level and it's just easier. It's just wait, and drinking's also easier down there too. FYI. No, nothing. Water. Nothing. Oh, I was talking about beer. I was talking. You could drink and consume more beer uh, without the buzz. F I can never remember which direction that's supposed. It's to go. supposed to. Well, I, I. You get drunker easier at higher altitudes. That's the argument. Yeah, for sure. Hey, shout out to Fantasy Whispers. Shout out to Troy Morgan, who are, who's watching. Hey, there's Rob Rutt. We're getting some folks that enjoy hey our show. As we start talking about beer and the ease with which you can get drunk places, people show up. Hey, uh, before we move on, because Derek Yoder just asked a really good question, and you could probably answer this way better than me. Do teams from Denver then have a better advantage on the road because they're acclimated? Because you had just pointed out that when you ran at sea level, it was much easier. 
Did you see that? You think we see that from like? Well, no. Yeah, I think that's what that what this graph is saying is that the home the home field. Well, the advantage. So, does it? Yeah. So maybe it's, but I guess the the disadvantage is more significant than the advantage. I think the day. Yeah, I think I think that's the right way to think about it because, in, unless you're like a a professional runner, I mean, my, my and this is just this is anecdotal. It's just my experience with it. When I ran at sea level, it was actually kind of confusing because you sort of have a pace in your mind that you're trying to hit and it's it's hard to know how hard you can push it because you don't know how your body's going to respond Uh-oh. if that makes sense so just about every time i did it which was just a handful of races in high school where i where i competed at, at sea level after training at, at altitude just when i was done i was like oh i had a lot left i should have ran harder that was kind of the my response like oh that was pretty easy i should have you know so I don't know, but if you're a professional basketball player and may- maybe you know if we go down to to sea level, you can you can push it harder. I, I just guessing. I, I suspect you're right though. The disadvantage of playing at altitude is probably greater than the advantage of playing at sea level. You know, we could we could just have Michael Lopez on the show, and <laughs> that's probably what we should do. I'm sure he's a college professor like us two dorks. He might really be down for that. So. I guess that's our project for the coming weeks, seeing if we can get him on the show to actually uh, parse through this data, try to figure out why this stuff's happening. Okay, old buddy, uh, let's move on to uh, to the big story. We got to, you know, let's give ourselves 10, 12 minutes on this one. This weekend, uh, or this past weekend, Serena Williams was in the final of the U.S. Open against, uh, remind me of uh, Naomi Osaka. Oh, uh, which is uh, that's the big that's a major part of the story, right? As we kind of forget who she was actually playing, she's in uh, the U.S. Open final, her second final, second Grand Slam final of the year, and she has what well, people are calling a meltdown. I don't know. I just went. By, I, I mean, I, I went through and I watched the video again. I don't think she had a meltdown. She had a tantrum in the same way that John McEnroe had tantrums and other athlete, other tennis players. They're just known for these tantrums, right? I, I don't know why tennis players tend to do it more maybe it's because we see their faces and they don't necessarily do it more we just see their faces so it's more pronounced but anyhow uh, she gets penalized Uh, it was in response I think this is the important part to the judge warning her about a coach her coach coaching her let's start there right I think then we can jump into the cartoon and the backlash do you think her coach was coaching her you watch a lot of tennis a lot more than me can you can you yeah add to that yeah, he was, he was, I don't, I don't know what he was trying to tell her and I don't know how useful it would be to get that information. He was doing this. Yeah, well, he was, I don't know if you can see me. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Can you see Brian? He was putting, it was his thumbs up, but also kind of moving his arms back and forth. And to me, it was, like, I don't know. Hit it in the middle, the hit it between the lines. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what he was saying. No, I thought he was telling her to move back from the line. I oh, move, move back? back from, yeah. He was saying move back from the line. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I, from what I've read, I, I, I watch not a ton of tennis, but I'm definitely a tune in for the major sort of guy. Yeah. I've never seen this called. I, know. I mean, they constant they constantly show the boxes. They constantly show players turning to their boxes and saying things. But, I mean, the players, I guess, can stay stuff that direction. I've never seen this called. Yeah. I've never seen it called. I don't. I don't think it created an unfair advantage. You know, this seems and and from what I read about this, I my understanding is that Serena wasn't looking at him when he did it. If you look at if you look at it in real time, he's doing this gesture and she's not looking at him. 
That's what I was told. What I read. I have to go back and I see like that that montage. Interesting. Like how did how, who told the who told the ref? Yeah, I know somebody it? somebody from the other side of, of the court must have seen that. But anyhow, yeah. that's that. I mean, it's 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 technically a violation. I mean, this is this has been rehashed uh, all week. It seems like or a week and a half at this point. Was it technically a rules violation? Absolutely. <laughs> did it need to be called? Could it have been a warning? You know, whatever. I think so. It was a warning. Well, no, it was a, a was a, a the first one is a is a point misconduct. No, 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 no. The misconduct right? the misconduct was she broke was her racket. smashing the racket. Yeah, so she already had the warning, and then it was smashing the racket, and then it was uh, uh, berating the judge. So it's kind of one, two, three punch right there that leads to everything. I mean, I look okay. I had a so it was warning point and then game. Yeah, warn. Well, I think that sounds right. Warning point game. Um, a couple things before obviously we talk about the the response which is its own story but uh i think we should just set i i want to i want to establish here that throwing tantrums isn't okay like I, I think people who are defending serena are not saying that throwing tantrums is okay i don't think that that's an acceptable way of performing in your sport you and i had discussed these people are super super intense uh you know not just tennis players but those kind of elite athletes i mean we've seen it from jordan we've seen it from tiger uh we've seen it from larry bird We've seen it from Tom Brady uh, berating his, his teammates on the sidelines. I, mm -hmm. I think this is just a different – This we're able to look at this under the microscope way, way closer than we are maybe to those other sports. And so when people are comparing the treatment of Serena's tantrum to that of John McEnroe and other men who have thrown those tantrums, uh, I guess I see the validity of that. I do think that she's, she gets a lot of shit in ways that uh, that men do not. So I do think there's a gender element to that. I do think there's probably a race, a race element to that. But I do want to say it's not okay to throw a tantrum. Like you and I aren't teaching our kids to throw tantrums like this. But again, we're dealing with a, with a unique kind of individual here that we, we don't necessarily consider, right? We need our athletes to be at that level if they're going to succeed. Does that make sense? No, I, th I think, yeah. I think what, what I hear you saying, and, and, and I was going to make a similar point was, and a lot of people have made this kind of argument, that it, it, the, the pressures that, that professional athletes at the highest level are under and the competitive drive that has been sort of instilled in them is one that may that may result in this sort of, you know, they're, they're not ones to just to just she has she hasn't won all these majors and been, you know, the best play, best player in tennis, one of the best athletes ever mm -hmm. by being by shrugging off, you know, uh, what what she perceives as a slight, yeah. right, or what very well could have been a slight. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it's 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 a hard thing to to sort of to sort of parse on the one hand. You don't. I, I I agree. I think I think Serena would agree mm -hmm. that the people all, all people in tennis who have done this they've all kind of come out and said yeah I've done that sort of stuff or done worse things that Serena did and it's embarrassing and I wish I hadn't done it but you know kind of that's that's the way that that sort of happens Dude, I don't know I I think you see this at at I, I'm sure you had moments like this when you were playing sports in in, in high school and I I definitely was a, a competitive person where it's very easy to sort of lose sight of what you're doing in the moment and get, and get really upset. So that's, I'm not trying to excuse it. Right. But, but I understand it. Let's talk about being in the, we'll talk about being in the flow, right? Like being in the flow of it and how uh, those premier athletes are just in the flow. And I think that's what we're talking about here is being in such a mental space that losing your shit becomes very, very easy and you can do it. I want to add real quickly. Uh, I told you to watch that Serena documentary. Did you watch it? Oh, I never made it to the Serena documentary. It's, it's on my list. I mean, if, if for those of you who are watching who are Serena haters or you don't really, uh, 
you're, you have an issue with what she did, totally get it. But I would suggest going to HBO and watching that five part documentary because uh, my wife and I watched it over the weekend and it just adds such so much perspective to who she is as a person that you don't forgive her for what she's done, but it helps you understand it. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff, dude, like to give birth to a kid and then to make two Grand Slam finals within, tw- within 12 months of giving birth and having a C-section too. Right. That's what's crazy to me. That is just wild. Like that goes to show that she is a very, very intense athlete. And obviously, as soon as that, I mean, she was she was training up to birth and she was training uh, nearly immediately afterward. As soon as she got the go ahead from her doctor, I think it was, you know, a couple three or four weeks. And there's an interesting scene. I think I told you about this uh, second to last episode, maybe the last episode in which she uh, has decided to go to France to prepare for the French Open and to train with her coach, the guy who was doing the thumbs up and the moving back and forth. And she's just not progressing the way that she needs to in order to compete at the French Open. And he tells her, if you're going to compete, you have to stop breastfeeding. Like, can you, like, the trust? Yeah. But, like, it doesn't come across as sexist, right, at all. Because we are built, we've been led up to that point to see and to experience the trust that an elite athlete has with their coach. And they and they trust that coach to tell them the truth. And it's it's fucking crazy, man. It's like to say, look, you're gonna have to do that because she couldn't lose, I think, eight to ten pounds, right? And I this is again not a sexist comment. She understood that she wasn't able to move laterally as fast as she needed to, uh, yeah. with that extra eight to ten pounds. And she was holding on to that because she was breastfeeding. And for her coach to say, Hey, you gotta drop those pounds if you want to win. That's it was just this intense moment. And even Catherine is like, Wow, you know, but but we understand it, right? You understand it, you well, get it. It's not it's not offensive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, well, no, but it also it also points to something that that sometimes gets ignored, right? I mean, these are conversations that happen in in the workplace all the time when we talk about work, workplace uh, uh, gender discrimination, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, sex discrimination, which is sometimes people, you know, tend to, don't tend to hire women because they're uh, worried or concerned that they're going to get pregnant and not be able to focus on their job or they don't get promotions for the same reason. Um, and that's obviously a huge problem that, that is a, a, an issue for a different podcast. But this this doesn't get talked about as much in tennis as it should. I mean, how many how many great tennis stars have taken you know sabbaticals or hiatuses to have kids who would have otherwise been great? And it's not something that we ever nod to, yeah. right? These are these are physical physical challenges that that you know absolutely amazing athletes uh, on the women's side have had to have had to overcome that that their counterparts on the med side never ever ever have, which. I, I think circles back to the, the issue that we're talking about, which is a lot of people reacted to this Serena thing by saying, and I just, there was just an article in like t- tennis weekly or tennis magazine or whatever that I just saw in defense of the the referee that was like, yeah, those were all technically the right calls and he's a good referee and the stats back it up. So he'll be back despite what everyone thinks is a, is a, a bullshit racist decision or sexist decision. And the answer back to that is not, it doesn't matter if they were technically the right calls. It's whether or not, the the standard is the same yeah. on both the men's and the women's side. The question is whether or not the standard is the same for you know people of color who are who are playing tennis at a at a really high level. I didn't see this Serena documentary, but I I remember this from maybe a different thirty or thirty for thirty or something when Serena and Venus first came on the scene. I don't know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. They had um, 
braided hair and they had lots of beads in them, yep. right? And it became this big thing. There was a discussion in tennis as to whether or not um, a bunch of players complained about it and wanted them to ban the beads that were in their hair because they were they were noisy and they were distracting. When they would swing, the noise would hit. It would, it would happen. And then there was actually a match where I don't know if it was Serena or Venus, but one of like the rubber bands came out and the beads actually fell all over on on the court or whatever. But like that's wh- where else in tennis are you seeing these conversations, right? This re- you can chalk this reaction up to oh no, it's really just unfair for people to have a specific hairstyle or something. Well, that's bullshit, right? What you're really uncomfortable with is two black women playing tennis and 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 your racism is showing, yeah. right? Another example of this, and we never got to this on the podcast, though we meant to, was the, the French Open banning the cat suit, right? Serena was wearing the, the all black, um, you know, I, I don't know what to describe it. It was like a tennis, they called it the cat suit, like a tennis outfit. I forgot about that. Like, why, why in the world do we need to, to ban? Was it the French? Well, some tournament said she couldn't wear it anymore. It's absolutely bananas i know you know like we're not having conversations about what other people are wearing or in the u.s open we didn't talk about this on the podcast either who was the the woman who it was like a thousand degrees and she uh, they gave him a break between sets and she took off her shirt and put on another one but she put it on backwards Mm -hmm. and so during the tennis match she took her shirt off wearing a sports bra really quickly turned around and, and she actually turned around when she did it and she got a game misconduct penalty, just like Serena. And then when that happened, this got, this got swept under the rug because of the Serena stuff. There was people who were pissed off showing montages on Facebook of all these dudes taking off their shirts at the, at the chairs. Like why it doesn't make a difference what the rule is that that makes a difference if it's equally enforced or not. Right. I don't, the answer can't just be, Oh, she broke a rule that does not make it. Okay. We can, we can enforce rules in unequal ways and that can expose right biases based on sex based on race based on all sorts of things this thing just gets thrown under the microscope because of serena if you ask me like we have never i I would argue we've never seen a a female athlete who is unwilling to just shut up right like this is and i don't mean again i'm she just doesn't want to she shouldn't have to and that's not the acceptable woman that we expect in our sports discourse, but it's also, it's not the acceptable black woman. I think that there's an element of that and people who are upset. I think you got to like consider what is making you upset about Serena, not just this last weekend. Right. But over time, she has consistently been uh, under, under scrutiny for how she acts and what she does in ways that we just simply don't do for other women. And then when you throw the the racial element in there, I think it just adds a level of it uh, and a level of complexity that makes it even more difficult necessarily to understand. And it it takes the time and the attention that Brian and I are trying to give you to have those conversations. I want to talk because we are. Yeah, go ahead. Just a quick example of this. Del Potro, who was in the final of the U.S. Open, lost his shit at a ref. I watched this match live in the quarterfinals for for like five straight minutes was yelling at this dude. Yeah, I did see that. Nothing. I did. And the thing, the, the straw that broke the camel's back in this arena match was a coach doing this. I know, I know, I know. Oh my God. Uh, here's the thing, right? Let's talk about the cartoon. So there's, there's the cartoon. We posted it all across the different, our social media platforms. Um, Australian cartoonist uh, uh, draws this cartoon of, of uh, uh, Serena throwing fit, um, you know, slamming her racket, jumping up and down, and in the back, there's a pacifier on the ground. A pacifier, right? In the background, you have the the referee, uh, the line judge, and the uh, and Osaka, and he's saying, "What does he say to her? Just let her win. Why don't you just let her win?" Obviously, yeah. uh, whew, people. Well, there's a question about whether or not it's Osaka or not in the in the cartoon. Okay, yeah, you brought that up. I don't think I don't think it's supposed to be Osaka. But some whatever. general, uh, but again, it's still it's still the 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 frail uh, 
not so much woman of color. I think that's yeah. there. There's yeah. a component of it of to that. So I know what your take is on this, and then I want you to respond because I'm, I'm I want to hear. Yeah, I just got to get this out before I forget in case people shut us off. Um, sure. Uh, I think we have to think about if you think that the if you think that the cartoon is not racist, I I do believe that on the surface that argument can be valid, and I do understand where you're coming from. But I have to, th and especially those who are comparing this cartoon to say a political cartoon, and I and I get that comparison. I see where you're coming from. You're comparing the the, the art, the craft itself. But I think I was thinking about this yesterday. The thing to consider is that caricatures of African Americans or Africans writ large have tended to be or are grounded in racism. Historically, they are grounded in racism in ways that caricatures of politicians, white people, men, women, not of color are not. And I think you have to contextualize that, that, that cartoon in order to understand why people are upset about it and why people are calling it racist. And I think once you just add that level and you say, look, hey, I get what you're saying. I understand why you think it's not racist, but we have to consider history here. It helps to understand that. Is that, is that clear to you too? I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday and kind of parsed this out. There's, and obviously there's a paper there that you and I should probably write, but I mean, it's so grounded in history and the history of cartoons of African-Americans, of the Sambo character, Jim Crow uh, cartoons is just laden with racism. That's where it comes from in ways that we don't have with political cartoons that are being compared uh, in, in, in this situation. Yeah. And those accentuated physical characteristics that were really common in those, those uh, kind of archetypal racist caricatures, the, the, the Sambo and uh, you know, the, the, the all, all, I remember misremembering my uh, college class on this, but all, all those different caricatures that, that we sort of know about also set the stage and became the same things that we saw in like undeniably racist things like blackface. Right. So, I mean, I, I think it, you don't have to dig very deep to look at this picture and say that it's, it's it's drawing on stereotypes about uh, about about black people um, and the physical characteristics that are racistly in a racist way associated with those people and exaggerating them. I think that on that point alone, there's uh, an argument to be made that there are some racist or overly racialized overtones or undertones um, happening happening in that in that political cartoon. I I want to say too, right? That like, and we sort of had this conversation on the text message. I I think we oversimplify these conversations to say whether or not a thing is racist. Yeah, not, we certainly right? do. We say, is this racist or is this not racist, yeah. right? Is the, is the artist racist or is the artist not racist? That's not the way that, that we have to, to look at it, right? It's, it's very, if that's the way we're going to have the conversation, then I'm never, ever, ever going to be able to prove that anything, this or any other thing is 100% racist, that it's either racist or it's not. But I think I can make a pretty good case for the comment that's being made by the cartoon is problematic, right? Going back to the conversation we had before about kind of equal enforcement of the rules. Um, I think it's um, trying to flip that trope on its head. I sent a text message to you that I think there's an argument that this this uh, co the commentary of the political cartoon is maybe making a point about you know things like affirmative action. Um, I think that the 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 cartoon is sort of. I, I personally don't think it was supposed to be Osaka. I think my read of the cartoon is that it was supposed to be, well, what's the alternative to enforcing the rules? And the political cartoon is answering that question by saying, well, if we're not going to enforce the rules, the only option we have is to let this person win, right? And that argument on its face, I think is problematic because it doesn't acknowledge the unequal enforcement of the rules, right? That's not, that's not the alternative. The alternative 
uh, to what happened at the U.S. Open is not to just let Serena in. It's for this official to get control of the match and realize that it's a final and that issuing a game misconduct or, you know, a full game penalty is insane. It's never happens, right? It, it doesn't happen because we're trying to see the best two, two plenis, tennis players compete. So it's not, it's not, it's, it's the, the logical fallacy of the cartoon is that the two options that we have are A, the final that we saw where, you know, all these game penalties happen or B, the referee lets Serena win. Well, that's not the only two options, right? There's, there's a middle ground and we see that middle ground play out all the time where officials recognize that it's intense, that these are people who are competitively driven. We hear what they have to say, kind of tell them to calm down and then go back to playing tennis and actually have a result, right? So again, it's not, is any one thing racist or not racist? No, we can't have, we can't have that yeah. conversation. Are there things that I can point to and say, boy, these are problematic for me. These make me question what you were thinking, right? The, the image, the commentary that, you know, all the different things that are happening, you know, inside of the, inside of the cartoon point to uh, me at least saying, I think I said this to you, I wouldn't have published it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. If, if someone came to me, it's like, can I put this? I'd be like, I, I wouldn't. That seems like a terrible yeah, idea. Yeah, I know. I know. It's very, very problematic. But the conversation, right? This is important because the conversation on, on social media became, this is definitely racist. This is definitely not racist. Yeah. Well, that's that's not a fruitful conversation. Let's talk about why. Yeah. No, I think there was... Right? This is, and, this, and this is the Kaepernick conversation too, right? You know, is Nike, they're, they're right or they're wrong? Well, listen, let's have a conversation about it, right? There's... There's nuance. There's complexity here. Let's 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 figure it out. And those of you who are watching and listening to Brian and I right now, like we are encouraging you to engage with us in conversation about this via email. We are sportsnerds at gmail.com, but also across the social media platform. And this week we had actually a really, really fruitful engagement for people on both sides of the of the debate uh, on on Instagram. Of course, there were some dumb comments. There were some racist comments, but there were some also some uh, kind of flippant identity politics comments that that didn't go into depth. And so I do appreciate, we do appreciate everybody engaging with this because that's what we're trying to do, right? Brian, like last week, we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to have this conversation, a deeper conversation about really, really complex stuff in ways that people just don't get out there. So I think you nailed it on the head. Um, I'm anxious to see, I, dude, I'm, I'm, people watch the documentary. Brian, go watch the documentary because I, dude, Serena's going to win next year. She's going to win, I think, at least one or two majors. I, I would hope that she wins more. She's just fun to watch, man. She's fun to watch in ways that ti Tiger's oh, yeah. fun to watch when he's dominant. It's just, it's insane. She's, and, and you know what? <laughs> Do you want to make some comments about Osaka here? Because I was looking at her, her run in the U.S. Open is just impressive. She faced almost no challenge. She dominated. There was a fourth round challenge, which I think they went to a third set. But, uh, dude, um, no, she is very, very good. Which is weird because uh, the, I was I was I watched a fair amount of this U.S. Open. I would say probably too much. I should have been doing other things. But um, I had heard that she from I think it was during the semifinal from Serena's coach, the same guy who got her the penalty or whatever that they were not really concerned about her coming into the U S open because of the last couple tournaments that she had not looked yeah. good, that she had gone out in like the first round of the Cincinnati open or something like that. So, um, but I had also heard it was, you know, one of the McEnroe's um, who was saying, no, she's a, she's a, a, a stud and she's going to be really, really good. And, and she was a player to watch out for. She beat um, another American in the semifinals. 
handedly. It was not even fun to watch. It was it was like a a, a four three or something like that. Um, you know, six four six three six four six two. Just absolutely smoked her. It wasn't even fun to watch because I was kind of deep down hoping for you know two Americans in the final so we could have some you know, American tennis pride back. But that but that didn't happen. Yeah, dude, the men's game is. Yeah, no, she's she's really good. And by the way, it really sucks for her too. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that there's a, a, a contingent out there who thinks it's, you know, Serena ruined her, her moment. Um, you know, I'm more in the, the referee ruined her moment, but it was, it was really disappointing to see how upset she was to, to win that way. Cause she didn't do anything. It wasn't her fault, if, obviously, if, but I thought Serena was actually pretty, pretty cool about it during the awards ceremony. Dude, she didn't, you know, uh, she, didn't, she didn't keep pushing the issue. She was like, Hey, sorry, it's your moment. Dude, she did an interview on Ellen. I think Osaka did. And it's fast. Like it, it, it made me like Serena more because of what she said. Uh, Serena told her after the match and, you know, she, apparently Osaka was thought that the crowd was booing her and Serena kind of stepped in and said, look, they're not booing you. Right. This isn't, you know, and then she yeah. said she was proud, proud yeah, of her. Yeah, like, true. and she said like, dude, okay. Th- think about who Serena is on and off the court in the same way that you think about who our other athletes are on and off the court. And I would, I would definitely make the argument that if I had to pick a role model for my kid, it would be Serena Williams over a Tom Brady. Right. Because isn't that, isn't that yeah. funny? Cause even we, before we're talking about, you know, oh, you can't have the temper tantrums. It's a bad message that you're sending. I mean, she didn't have a lot of time to process it before she gives those yeah. comments during the award ceremony or, or was the press conference right after the award ceremony where she was saying, look, I, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to win this fight. I was going to win this, you know, they were going to, you know, give me the points back or anything. But it was about, you know, giving the next person who feels like they're being, uh, you know, treated unfairly the courage, the next woman who feels like she's being, you know, be, being treated sex in a sexist way or the next person of color who feels like they're being subject to some some subtle racism to have the courage to kind of stand up and, and do what they were doing. I mean, it wasn't a, a speech that was written for somebody. This is, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was great. I mean, to, 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 for anyone to speak like that right after a really emotional situation um, and to to really explain what she was doing, and and like I said, a, a way that would absolutely a, 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 you're a good role model in that moment, right? Agree, man. It's 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 easy to be like, oh, you slam your racket down, you're a bad role model. But all this other stuff, right? That you know we see in the documentary, and when we see her, um, even stuff she does on the court, obviously. But some of this other off store off off the court stuff is, I think, worthy of praise. Yeah, it makes her a, the super. I mean, she's a superstar, undeniably, but supports that superstar status for me. Uh, Troy just made a good comment. Like some of her, like this is this is the idea of the tantrum. Like her explaining away her tantrum, I think that is problematic. Uh, so again, I don't. I, I for those of you who have an issue with that in sportsmanship, I totally get it because I think a lot of the people out there who are criticizing this have an issue with that. But again, separate what's on the court versus what's off the court, and I think we begin to see her true character in those comments after. And I wonder how much of this has to do with her being a parent too. You know, like it changes the game when you know that your kids are going to be consuming video of you down the road. Right. I wonder if that's a thought that she has. Like after she's like, oh, shit, my my daughter's going to watch this video of me throwing a tantrum someday. I need to correct it by by being a a good loser. Right. By being an actual like not being an ass. Like do it. Like, I don't know, man. I, I, I 
I, I'm just saying afterwards, she could. there's a different version of this press conference or, or the interview with her where she says, oh, F that guy. And he screwed me out of my championship and, you know, and killed my yeah, legacy. Yeah. That's not what she yeah. said. She was like very direct. This isn't about me, right? This is about a, an injustice and and trying to set the stage for future people to be able to to not be subjected to it for people in the future rather to not be subjected to it I th- like again if that's if that's not enough to make you love serena <laughs> then you're never gonna love it. i mean think, yeah i guess i just think about her in terms of her humanity and her empathy compared to other professional athletes and there are people we put up on a pedestal who are just terrible people and uh <laughs> I, again you and i try to evaluate things on and off the court uh, i think about lebron versus jordan right lebron being a good person off the court doing a lot of great things for his community whether or not you agree with his politics i don't care it's the fact that he's actually doing things to improve his community in ways that i guess jordan never did and if we're going to about or or i mean i'm sure he did stuff but it wasn't part of his yeah you know, his brand that's, that's that's a yeah well i mean that, that's 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 very lebron right the school's the most important thing he's ever done in his career is what he said not not off the court but he includes that stuff right this, you know so I agree. Yeah, go ahead. In, 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 a, in, a, in a slight defense of Jordan, I will say, I think that, you know, we're in a more socially conscious, socially active kind of world, right? Social media makes that stuff more, more visible. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm leery of, of when we draw comparisons, throwing under people, throwing other people under the bus. But I, I take your point. I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, okay. Edit out that mumble. No, it fine. was not, not productive. That's fine, but I think that's a perfect way to end <laughs> it. Um, as always, you can find Brian and I on the social medias. We are on Instagram at sports.nerds. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash sports nerds. We're on YouTube. There is no slash C slash sports nerds, Brian. It's just uh, youtube.com slash sports nerds. We put our videos up there. We would love to have you engage uh, with us via email. We are sports nerds at gmail.com or any of those other platforms. We get a lot of folks who comment on Twitter at underscore sports nerds. But again, these conversations we've had over the last uh, two weeks have been super, super deep and complex. And I think we are trying to push you listeners towards having a difficult conversation with those with whom you don't agree. And I understand, we understand that you get pissed off when politics and race and gender enter into your sports. And oftentimes sports are that escape for people, but we have now reached a moment, a cultural shift in which sports being an escape isn't really all that sports can be and or are anymore. I think I think digital media has played a role in that. The internet, obviously, access to sports, uh, close-up views of, of our athletes. Things have just changed, and I, I don't think we're going to return to that world in which uh, we can ha- somehow have sports that are apolitical. So we're here for you. We got your back. Uh, we hope you'll, you'll engage with us. And now if you have stuck around until the very end of the show, you can donate to Brian and I. We're not going to pocket any of that money, or at least not much of it. You can go to anchor.fm slash sports nerds. You can throw a dollar at us. You can throw $5 at us, whatever you want. Just know that those koozies that so many of you have are not free, nor are the stickers and the buttons. Right, Brian? Yeah, well, uh-huh. they are right now. <laughs> yeah, they are right now, right? <laughs> but Somebody's paying for them. All right, buddy, uh, fantastic show. Thanks to everybody who followed us and watched us on our live stream and everybody else who listens. We hope you have a fantastic uh, a week, weekend, afternoon, morning, whenever you listen to us. Thank you for your time.